in the Roman Empire to build the temple to Caesar. And that's why they keep saying where Satan dwells, where Satan's throne is. Because really what you have going on is you have a deception in worship. That's what's going on here. And so, but notice for this church, this church in Pergamos, it says, these things say he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now I love this because remember, to each of these letters, it begins with a, hey, this is who it's to, and this is Jesus saying, this is who I am. The next church Pastor Daniel brings us to in the book of Revelation is the church in Pergamos. This group of believers were situated in a town who had a different focus of worship. They served Caesar. He was their God, their Savior. And really, as you'll learn today, anyone who came against this belief was not tolerated. They'd be in danger. Yet the church continued to seek and serve the true God, the all-powerful King of the universe. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Revelation chapter 2 as he begins a new message called The Church in Pergamos. So when I say the word compromise, a lot of different things kind of pop in your head depending on where you're from. Like in some ways, compromise is a good thing, right? It's like in my family because like we've raised, Lynn and I have raised these three great kids who are now 17, almost 14 and eight. When we say, hey, where should we go get dinner out? Then you know what happens when you have five people in a family and three, yeah, it's like, so you can't agree on anything. And before you know it, you're supposed to have a nice family dinner and someone's upset because you didn't choose Red Robin or something. You know what I mean? But so part of that, you know, in a family, you have to make compromises, right? And that's a good thing because compromising within decision-making of a family is a good thing. But then there are other times when compromising isn't a good thing. It's like when uh, I'm trying to watch my figure and because I'm all Italian, you know, carbs are a love language. And you show up at church, you know, and there's donuts everywhere, you know. And like I'm, I'm walking in the back, even just now, I walk in the back and there's like a box of donuts. And I'm like, ooh, donuts, and I'm like, get behind me, Satan. And then when I go and I play worship, I go play worship and I go back. And then there's a donut in my like speaker's room. Like it moved from the box into my room and I didn't do it. And I'm just like, compromise is right here for me right now. I can just eat that donut and don't worry, I didn't, but pray for me. I don't think it's going to make it. But, <laughs> but like sometimes compromise is not a good thing at all. Right, And really, as we're studying here in the book of Revelation in this section called the seven letters to the seven churches, today we're going to see a church that their main issue is that they're compromising and not compromising in a good way. They're starting to make decisions or they've been making decisions that Jesus is like, actually, this isn't a good thing at all. Now, let me say something, because if you've been traveling with us in this series in the book of Revelation, if you have, it's been such a fun series so far. And I'm, I'm excited to be able to go through this book over the, the coming weeks and months. But when you start thinking about the seven letters to the seven churches, because of our context as a culture, when you think of these seven letters to the seven churches, we have the wrong conception in our minds, because it's almost like we've already studied the letter to the church in Ephesus and the letter to the church in Smyrna. And you have a tendency to think that this letter is going to a church that's got a building like Crossroads. 
or a smaller building. You know what I mean? Like, like, like where there's a couple hundred people, like a modern day church in the West. But you have to realize that at the time that these letters were written, these churches were not church buildings. They were house churches. Like if you're in a, if you're in a home-based community group, that's what the letter's going to. And so we have this tendency when we hear these letters to think, oh, these seven letters to the seven churches are actually Jesus talking to the church leadership. Like this is a letter for Pastor Daniel, right? It's a letter for, for the pastors of the church or the board of the church, the elders of the church. But really at that time, most of these churches didn't even have pastors. They didn't have necessarily even elder boards. This was a letter written to a group of people. And so we always have to remember that when we hear about the church, you have to remember you are the church. And up until really 300 years into the early church, there was no such thing as professional clergy. Right? The apostle Paul, they would be missionaries. They would be going around and people would share with them because it was a hospitality culture. But like nobody made their living doing the work of ministry. And I think we have a tendency to believe that really, okay, so the church is the pastors and the leaders. No, the church is the people. And I want you to look at the person, right? I want to look at the person next to you. I want to tell you something. You are called to full-time ministry. Tell them, say you're in full-time ministry. Go ahead, tell them. Some of you are like, I didn't want that. Well, guess what? You got conscripted. You are in. Because the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you become a servant of God. And when you become a servant of God, that's called ministry. And some of us minister by you're retired. And so you're ministering as a retired person. You have, you're on a fixed income. You don't have anyone telling you that you got to be there. You don't have deadlines to make, except you have to go to the doctors, right? And it's like, in the end of the day, you're in full-time ministry right where you are. If you're in school, guess what? You're in full-time ministry and you're a student. If you work in the grocery store, guess what? You're in full-time ministry. You work at the grocery store. If you own a company, guess what? You're in full-time ministry. You run a company, right? If you're a stay-at-home parent, you know you're in full-time ministry. I have to tell you what that's like, right? No matter where you are, some of us are in full-time ministry by working here at the church, but there's not like when you work at the church, that's full-time ministry. And when you work, insert your job, then that's not full-time. No, it's all ministry because we're the church. And the church's function is to reflect Jesus into the world. That's our job. And all of these letters go to the church and they're really for all the people. Because in a lot of ways, like church leadership can make decisions about all sorts of things. But really what a church is all about is the decision of the people. It's like laws in America, right? The laws in America, just because they're laws don't make them righteous. It's just the will of the people. And sometimes the will of the people is just not wise, but it's the will of the people. Right, And in the same way, a church can say, this is what we value. This is what we care about. This is what we believe in. But it's really the lifestyle of the people who are within that church. I can say whatever I want about what we value and believe in. But who we are as a people is determined by each one of you in the way that you live your life before Jesus. And the church that we're going to see today, they're doing some things right, but they're starting to make soft choices. They're starting to cut corners. And those soft choices, those cut corners are going to lead them into a bad place. So let's look at this together. Open your Bibles, Revelation chapter 2. We're going to take verses 12 to 17 together. Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. If you've been with us for a while, you know Revelation is the last book in your Bible. So just open that thing up. Go to like the first or second page. You'll be on Revelation 2. If you're like, well, listen, I don't like touching paper or whatever, then pull out your phone. 
and just oh, go to, I don't care where you get the scripture. I just want you to be, I want you to read it. Amen. So I was like, hey, here's my phone. Praise the Lord. Just wherever you like to read. I want you to read along because I always say this. We live in a world, everyone's allowed to have their opinion. I have my opinions. You have your opinions. All the people on the internet, they have their opinions. Everyone's opinion. You're allowed to have your opinion. But the only opinion we really care about here is God's word. I was talking to someone recently, like, you know, Cross is such a crazy place. I mean, you reach all these, you know, people who are outside the church and people who aren't really well, they come to Crossroads, but you make them open their Bibles. I'm like, yeah. Because it's like, we need God's word. We have more Bibles in circulation, but less Bible literacy. So we want you to read along. And you can see sometimes, like, yeah, I don't know if that means that, Daniel. And that's good. I, I like that when people say that. Because I want us to think about these things. What does God's word say? So we're here In verse 12, Revelation 2, let me start reading it to you. It says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name, and you do not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Now, from the get-go here, what we learn is that Jesus is inviting the church in Pergamos, he's inviting us to be distinct from the host culture. That there's supposed to be a distinction between the church in Pergamos and the culture in which they exist. Now, it starts, Jesus is writing to this angel or the messenger of the church in Pergamos. Now, Pergamos was about 65 miles north of Smyrna. So if you remember, as we look at these seven letters, like we're kind of heading north and actually if you're looking on a map, it'd be heading a little bit to the east as well. But, you know, just as, you know, Smyrna was like 35 miles north of Ephesus, now we're 65 miles north of that. And really what's amazing is that Pergamos, in, according to history, was a great religious center. Like you'll notice in this, it talks about how where Satan throne is where Satan dwells. And one of the things that you find if you read about the city of Pergamos is it was the one of the first, it was the, really the official center of the cult of the Roman emperor. That in 29 BC, they petitioned Augustus that they could build a temple to him, Lord Augustus. So in the Roman empire, they not only believed in their rulers, but they worshiped them. Right, And they call that the imperial cult. And really, Pergamos was the center of that in the Roman Empire. They were like the first one to be like, man, we're going to set up this temple where we're going to worship Caesar as God. Right, And so for the believers in Pergamos, they are living now as believers in Jesus. And now they're immediately in conflict with their own city, which prided itself on really, really, really being proud of their worship of a human ruler. Now, it's so hard in the day and age in which we live not to kind of talk about this because not that everybody who likes a politician is worshiping them, but we always have to realize like where does our allegiance lie? And you know, as a church, I'm always talking about this, right? And it's like, some people are like, why are you always talking? Because it's so prevalent that where is our hope residing? And what is Amazing is the earliest telling of the good news of Jesus was three simple words. It was Jesus is Lord, right? And that's the confession of people who believe in Jesus. But what we don't realize is that in that culture, know what the common thing people would say? Caesar is Lord. 
So when Christians started saying, Jesus is Lord, they're literally fighting against their whole culture. Really, they're saying, Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. And the persecution of the early church by the Roman Empire was all about that. That they would not worship Caesar. They would not pledge their allegiance to Caesar. They said, no, Jesus is the Lord and Caesar is not. And Pergamos was the home base for this. It was the first city in the Roman Empire to build a temple to Caesar. And that's why they keep saying where Satan dwells, where Satan's throne is. Because really what you have going on is you have a deception in worship. That's what's going on here. And so, but notice for this church, this church in Pergamos, it says, these things say he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now, I love this because remember, into each of these letters, it begins with a, hey, this is who it's to, and this is Jesus saying, this is who I am. Now, of course, the sharp two-edged sword in the Roman Empire, it was a symbol of Roman justice, right? And of course, if you know your Bible at all, the two-edged sword is a picture of what? The word of God. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It goes down to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. I love that verse because what it's saying is that God's word has the ability to separate out what is really undividable at that point. Now, I know we have medical stuff now, but you know, where you can get into some of the nooks, but thousands of years ago, these were things that were, you couldn't parse them out. But what's amazing is, if you notice at the end, it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Modern science cannot parse out the discernment of your thoughts and the motivations of your heart, but God's word still can. And so Jesus is the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. And this is what the work that Jesus wants to do in each person's life is. No, no matter if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time or if you're just exploring Jesus and you're going to start your journey with Jesus today, what Jesus is really interested in is doing this work in our hearts, which helps us to understand both who he is and who we are. And the understanding of who he is and who we are is important because what I have found in my own journey, and I feel like I'm just like, you know, if it's one person's issue, it's everyone's issue. And we're all kind of the same in that way is that oftentimes I don't even understand the motivations by what I do. Like, why am I doing that? Why do I respond in that way? Why do I feel that way about that? Or why, when that happens, do I do this and this? But what Jesus and his word does is he wants to get in and says, listen, let me unpack for you who you really are. Why you do the things you do. What are the motivations or the fears that drive you to make those decisions? And what I think is really what makes it challenging for all of us is that there's a part of us that we want to know those things, but we really don't want to know. Because you realize that sometimes our, as of course, the scriptures say in the book of Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So nobody really wants to know that. I mean, you should want to know that, but you don't really want to know. But what you have to remember is that because Jesus is full of grace and truth, he can reveal to us our heart motivations. And it's not in a condemnatory way. He's like, look, I'm going to reveal this to you because like a good doctor, I'm going to first show you what the problem is so that I can do a healing work, Right? If you ever went to a doctor and you just go up to the doctor, doctor, I got a sore throat. He's like, okay, I got to run you into surgery right now. He's like, oh, hold on. Why do you need to go to surgery right now? Oh, don't worry about it. Just trust me. You're like, no, I don't trust you. I'm getting a second opinion. 
right? But when you know that there's something wrong and they like, you know, they show you, they, they, they roll on out. They're like, look, man, all your arteries are clogged right now. And they're like, okay, let's go get surgery, right? Or whatever it is. When that happens, you know, you know that it's time to get the surgery. And what Jesus does is he's like, look, let me show you what's in your heart first. So that when I start working on it, it's not shocking to you because you know it's there. Right? And that's what the word of God does. And Jesus has this sharp two-edged sword. And what's amazing is, is not only did we see that in Revelation chapter one, where we first run into the sharp two-edged sword, then you're, you see it here. You're going to see it in Revelation 19, 15, 19, 21. It keeps coming up over and over again. It's part of who Jesus is. Jesus' word that comes out of him is that sharp two-edged sword that does that work. Right? But notice he says to this church, he's like, I have the word of God that brings the truth and where judgment lies. He says, I know your works, verse 13, and I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And, and, and I love that because he's saying, look, I know what you're doing and I know the context in which you live. The church in Smyrna had persecution, but they didn't live where there was a temple for Caesar. The church in Ephesus had great things going on but they were struggling in their devotional life. They had the right emotions without the proper emotions, but they didn't live in a place where there was full-on worship of the Caesar. But for the church in Pergamos, that was their context. And I think this is so important when we think about church because if a church is truly embodying the work of Jesus in their community, every community is different. It's like I was just talking to someone about this and someone said, well, listen, you know, so Daniel is Crossroads, a multicultural church. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And they said, well, you know, there's, you know, there's equal numbers of everybody from different ethnicities. And I said, no, we're not. They're like, that's sad. I'm like, no, it's actually not sad because our community isn't all that multicultural. Like, you know, where we live, Clark County, Washington is 88% Caucasian. There's all different races than that. And I'm like, so really... I'm like, to say that a church has to be, you know, 25% every multicultural, that's actually not real. I'm like, but if you look at Crossroads as a community and you look at our community, Crossroads is more multicultural than our community is. You can just look around the sanctuary. It's, it's the coolest thing. But to say every church has, needs to be multicultural where there's 25% from every ethnic, it's like, well, no, that our, we should be a snapshot of our community, Right? Because every community is different. And then because we're a church here in Clark County, Washington, our southern neighbor is the People's Republic of Portland, you know? <laughs> and because our northern neighbors is like, it's like hill country, folks. I mean, you guys live in the hill country. It's the awesomest thing, you know? And it's like, it's a unique cross-section of humanity. And every church has a context in which they live in. But no matter what the context is, Jesus wants us to live distinctly within that context. That we were within this culture, but we're not caught up in all that this culture is caught up in. For the church in Pergamos, there was everybody worshipped at the temple of Caesar, but the Christians, they didn't. And Jesus is like, I know your work, and I know where you live, and I know what's going on there. See, we have this going on right now, and I don't want to eat anybody's lunch or, or poke fun, but like so many people are moving off of the west coast of the United States right now because they want to go to more Christian areas, which I'm just like, like, listen, in heaven, it's a Christian area. It's like, until then, like moving to the People's Republic of Texas is cool and all, if that's what you want. And I know they have good barbecue there, but we got Goldies down the road. Amen? 
And don't miss the fact, Jesus did not move from discomfort to comfort. Jesus moved from heaven's glory on a rescue mission on the earth. And so what I really love right now is what's interesting is people who've grown up here, there's people who are, and I'm not, listen, if your job's moving you, I'm not knocking them. I pray with a number of people they are moving and I'm not making fun of you. But I also love watching God sending people into our community right now. And I'm like, oh, I love how God works here. Because the people don't want to be here. They're like, they're like, man, we need to go to where it's comfortable. Where I don't have to deal with all this stuff. It's like, but I'm like, the Lord's like, Daniel, I know where Crossroads dwells. I know where you are. I know what's going on there. And I know your works. And I love this because the church in Pergamos, listen to what Jesus says to them. It's so beautiful. He says, and you hold fast to my name and you do not deny my faith. He's like, man, you guys are holding on. You're remaining faithful. You are grasping at me forcibly who I am. And he's like, and even in the days when this man Antipas was killed for his faith, Right there at the temple. This is where he was martyred. The faithful martyr. There was a guy who was literally killed for his faith in Pergamos sometime in the past. But they still held on. So here's my question for you. How are you doing following Jesus and staying distinct within the culture we live in? Of course, the Apostle Paul said it this way, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I love this because Paul teaches us how to be distinct. He's saying, look, I want you to bring your lives And I want you to give it to God as a living sacrifice. I mean, talk about a paradox, a living sacrifice, right? Actually, sacrifice has died. But it's like, no, you're alive, but you're coming having died to yourself. And when you do that, it says, this is your reasonable service. Like given the finished work of Jesus on the cross, us coming and saying, Lord, I'm gonna die to myself, like be made alive to you. And I'm I'm gonna lay down all of my plans. I'm gonna say, Lord, what is your will? That's reasonable given what Jesus has done for us. Right? And then it says, and don't be conformed. Don't let this world shape us, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, like, this is about God transforming our, the ways that we think to give us the mind of Christ, to take away the mind of our culture, the mind of the day and age we live in. He's saying, look, I want to transform you. I want to give you the mind of Christ that because of the mind of Christ being given to you by faith in Jesus, and you are surrendering and responding to what Jesus has for us, that your life begins to prove out what is God's good and acceptable and his perfect will. Jesus is real. The culture around us here in America is not one that puts Jesus on the throne. That's just a fact. The question is, are you trying to fit into that culture? Pastor Daniel introduced you to a church today who lived in a similar situation, yet they'd chosen to remain faithful to the Lord, even when everyone around them thought, acted, and reacted otherwise. They chose truth. Is that the choice you're making today? Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you 
you're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will continue to talk through the letter written to the church in Pergamos. Unlike the previous church we studied in Revelation, these followers of Christ were not holding fast enough to the doctrine of truth. It's true that they were following Jesus in a culture that didn't, but they were allowing compromise as well. And sadly, it was leading people away from the Lord. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.